All right, let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for your kindness and mercy and grace that you've given us in Christ. And as we study the book of Acts, may we learn what you have said, believe what you have said, and apply it in how we think and how we act as we go forward. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. And we go to Acts 13, 7 and 8. We were on this slide last week. Okay, that's the right one. It says, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, now... This is obviously somebody bad, so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn a proconsul away from the faith. So here we have a contrast. You have a Roman official who, as we will see, is willing to listen and hear the gospel and actually comes, turns to the Lord. And then this person who was a Jewish false prophet who trafficked in the world of the spirits who was opposing the true gospel okay and this is thematic in Luke Acts throughout Luke and then all the way throughout Acts there's a contrast in how people respond and how, what they're motivated by, wh- whether they're willing to hear and to listen. For instance, the people in Berea were more noble-minded because they at least looked to see if it was true. The people in Thessalonica got angry that the gospel was even preached and chased the apostles away. We'll see this as we go forward. And so here there's a contrast between someone who culturally would have had a whole lot more information available about what the Old Testament promises were concerning Messiah. And he was an enemy. He didn't want to hear about it. Of course, this happened in Luke when they rejected Messiah. And remember Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. But the point was that the gospel would go out to the world. Here was a guy with status, with power, and had a lot going for him. But for whatever reason, by, we know the reason, God's grace, he is someone who we will see as we go to the next slide, was willing to hear and to learn. One of the great gifts of God available to anyone anywhere is the love for the truth not only in regard to conversion but in regard to Christians wanting to know the truth to avoid error to learn to grow to search the scriptures and how many times have I been anathematized by Christians who 
They, it's nothing wrong if they don't like me or disagree with me. But if the cause of the rejection is something I said that God said in his word and I could give evidence that it was said and they say, no, 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 I don't want to hear you go away. That's not my tradition. Well, then you don't have a love for the truth. Now, if somebody has a better reading or they, they say, no, wait, Bob, you're missing something. You need to consider this and they give me evidence. That's an interesting conversation. I want to hear that. But you can't just say, no, go away. I don't like it. Why? Well, I just don't like it. That's not. See, your feelings aren't going to lead you to the truth. Did you know that? How did feelings and ascetic values work for Eve in staving off the serpent? Any comments on that? It didn't work very good, did it? What was so good about this thing that God said is forbidden? Delight to the eye. It was, oh, it's beautiful, right? It's good for food. It's going to taste good. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to have wisdom that mean old God won't let me have by going somewhere else besides what he chose to say. And that is what leads people astray. So here is a pro-counsel. And by the way, let me just say something. I have some data about that. One of the things you'll see with Luke writing Luke X is how well he gets the data right concerning historical things that happened, the names of persons, the way the government ran, geography. He gets everything right. There's one thing that people question, I think, at the beginning of Luke uh, about when so-and-so was there, uh, and I can't remember, I remember when I preached Luke. And so there's a big debate. Maybe he got somebody wrong by about four years. I, do you remember that one, Eric? It's tried to, but the thing I thought when I was preaching through Luke, this was well over 10 years ago when I started in Luke 1, was why are they so hostile to Luke? Let's say if he got 98% of everything right and he found one they're questioning. In my case, because it was different than some other people thought as far as just certain years or the pronunciation of a name or something. I think I'd go with Luke first. Okay. But the, the liberals are so bent on finding an error in the Bible that go to extremes to find an error that doesn't even exist. But when you see the data correct, you're going to trust it. All right, so let's, I'm going to quote David Peterson, who's got a really good commentary on Acts. This is the same David Peterson that wrote that book on sanctification that Eric and I like. He says this, quoting another scholar, Luke is thoroughly familiar with the governmental arrangements of the Roman Empire, and in particular, the difference between an imperial and senatorial province. And time and again, we find him giving the proper designations for the Roman officials he mentions, unquote. He gets it right time and again. It used to be claimed that hundreds of years later, somebody made this all up. Well, then they keep finding older and older documents that are accurate. And then 
a lot of the higher critical theories that tried to debunk the Bible happened in the 19th century and earlier. I was just reading some material from Mark Musser about that. Why were they so critical? Well, they were afraid that science was going to overturn the Bible, so we'll save it by throwing it into what Schaefer called upper story. But you know what overturned their theories? Digging in the ground. Yesterday's paper, they found a ring. Whose name was on the ring? Pilate. There used to be a claim that Pilate didn't really exist. It was just made up. But then they found that Pilate stone that you probably heard about if you visited Israel. Well, now they got a ring that has Pilate on it. So Musser was saying they, they were just impatient. They wanted to overturn the Bible. The 20th century, it became more possible for archaeologists to get into the places they needed to get. Sometimes political reasons were the, you had to have a stable government so somebody could do a dig. And now there's a treasure trove of data that keeps collaborating what the Bible says, and it makes no sense to not believe the Bible. You almost have to become like the emerging church and just say nothing is true. Everything is a conundrum. Call them the little engine that couldn't. Can't know, we can't know, we can't learn. No, we can know, we can learn, and we can believe. And we need more who are noble-minded like the Brians that really want to know what's true. So here that he is called a proconsul shows that Luke really got it right. He, the claim in Acts is that he actually traveled eventually with Paul. So he was there at some of these things that happened. Because he uses we when he was there. This is accurate. And so you can look that up now with Google. Everybody can look things up. But when I was in seminary, I had to learn these things. New Testament backgrounds. There's a book by Ferguson that I read several times because different classes would require it. It's fantastic. What's a senatorial province? province? What is uh, an imperial one? The basic difference, and I can't give you details because it was from the 90s and my memory is pretty good but not that good the imperial meant the emperor himself had a direct oversight and he put his guy in charge of it and the senatorial meant different names of the people in charge in the senate was responsible for that kind of province so you can look all that up if I had any more details I didn't have time last night to get Ferguson back out I went back over all this last night because it was about a month ago when I did my original creation of this PowerPoint. So this is accurate. And that these magicians, false prophets, the things we read in Luke, the false people, Simon the sorcerer, Bar-Jesus here, the sons of Sceva that come up, the 50,000 pieces of silver paid for magic arts is an accurate description of the kind of world that existed in Asia Minor. Luke gets this exactly right. And so Christianity is going forward as Antioch 
the number three city in the Roman Empire and a center of commerce and travel and so on is, is where they're going out from. Then they go to Cyprus. But the fact is that Christianity with the gospel of Jesus Christ is confronting both the mystical paganism of Asia Minor and thereabouts, and then eventually Corinth and the Italian peninsula, and then Rome itself, but also the Jewish mysticism that existed. Josephus documents this sort of thing. Mysticism, false versions of exorcism, were practiced by the Jews because they had adopted some of the pagan customs of the people around them, some of them. So the church has to get this right because we're the ones who can tell people the way out of all of it. The way out is only through the gospel. That's how you get out of darkness. That's how you get out of subjective mysticism and occultism and the lives of works-oriented religion. So Peterson goes on to say, an intelligent man who had heard something of what was being proclaimed, the proconsul wished to find out more. There you go. That's a good attitude to have. Whoever may hear this, want to find out more. The Lord, I believe, through the Holy Spirit, will give every Christian a hunger for the truth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for because they will be filled. And righteousness doesn't come by some secret practices. It comes by the means that God's ordained. God changes our lives practically through the power of the gospel and the truth of his word. So here's a guy who wanted to learn something. Then Peterson goes on. However, before revealing the impact of the gospel on this man's life, Luke mentions the malevolent malevolent influence of a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Some of you, most of you maybe know this, but Bar something means son of. Okay? And that play on words son of is going to come up in our narrative here. In Hebraic communication and thinking, to be a son of something doesn't necessarily speak about genetics, but character. Okay? So if you're a son of darkness, it means you're characterized by darkness. If you're a son of light, it means you're characterized by light. If if you're a son of thunder, that means you are boisterous and want to fight everybody. Pugnacious or whatever, sons of thunder. It's, so it means characterized by. So son of here is a, a false claim probably. So anyhow, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul. The word Jewish says Peterson and sorcerer, magos in the Greek, magician, astrologer, do not really belong together because of scriptural condemnation of those involved with magic and the occult. It's forbidden. It was forbidden by Moses. 
I need a reader, a norm. Could you look up Deuteronomy 18, 10, and 11? Deuteronomy 18, 10, and 11. Deuteronomy 18, 10, and 11. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritualist, or one who calls up the dead. Necromancy, yeah. These, that list that Norm read are ways that people in the ancient world sought to interact with the world of the spirits. And the idea of the occult, the word occult, by the way, means secret. And so the concept is that the realm of the spirits contains secrets that would benefit people if they could gain those secrets whether it's astrology because the ancient people had plenty of time they didn't have street lights back then did you know that you know how often do you see the stars when you live in the middle of the city you just don't you notice them when you go up north fishing and you're out at night but you tend to not to well they saw them all the time and so they noticed that certain arrangements of stars were fixed from their viewpoint, but there were other ones that moved. What was moving? The planets, because they're actually circling Earth, and they're not appearing to be the same to these observers. Well, astrology was concocted to try to predict things based on those movements of the planets vis-a-vis the constellations. How many of you know people still practice that even though they know it's absurd but people lust for secret information now I have been debating about this since the early 1980s and I still do on the internet every week at least there are so many Christians out there who take the genitives found in 1 Corinthians 12 and turned them into an interpretation that would create Christian occultism. Now, that's like what Peterson had said about this Jewish magician. It should be a contradiction of terms. Christian occultism is obviously a contradiction of terms. But I have people tell me vociferously that what the word of knowledge means is that you got a revelation about which curse is causing someone to get sick. That's what Paul meant. They say, well, the word of knowledge can mean a word that comes from knowledge or a word that consists of knowledge. Well, they, chose, they choose the one that will give them access to secret information because they don't want to be constrained by the word of God. So I tell them that, and then they say, well, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And I say, well, I thought the Holy Spirit could be discerned because he causes us to confess Christ. And we put that on the front page 
the CIC site, how to discern the work of the Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit wants to give us information so we know which curse to break. And I say that creates occultism, which is forbidden by God. You are involved in forbidden occultism, and you must repent. Whoa, do they get mad. Then the prophets start cursing me and tell me I'm apostate and I'm going to go to hell. Why would God send me to hell? Because I warned Christians against occultism. Well, they think that they're Paul who curses this bar Jesus, tells them he's, what's his spiritual status, and I'm like the false prophet. And so you see how intense that is and how profound Because I need to know this. I have to tell you, I do not want to go to hell. And I do not want to fail God by misleading the church. And so my claim is the Holy Spirit is discerned because he speaks of Christ. Jesus said, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will testify about me. So I testify to these accusers about Jesus. No, they're still not satisfied. Well, it's more than that. You're trying to, you're you're reducing, you're quenching the spirit. He wants to do more than that. So the Holy Spirit wants me to be an occultist, discerning hidden secret curses that may or may not even be true, and go against the book of Galatians, where it says that everyone who has the faith of Abraham is blessed, and that all Christians, according to Ephesians 2, are blessed and not cursed. But you want me to lie so that I won't go to hell? Then they just... I mean, I've been going through this since the 80s, especially strongly since the Internet, because now you have more access to more people out there. They're making the the Todd Bentleys of the world are making wealth out of deceiving the Christians. Todd Bentley is the false prophet like this bar Jesus. Or maybe you don't know who he is. You know who he is? Am I the only one heard of him? He's uh, He was associated with this Lakeland revival in Florida. It was originally a Pentecostal. And this revival went on for years. And ABC or somebody sent a TV crew there. He was claiming that five people were brought in as dead corpses and raised from the dead at different times. But they couldn't collaborate any of it. And he ended up leaving that group and... Now he's got his own version. I get his emails just to see what these people are up to. Let me just give you a choice here. We can stick with Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, to the glory of God alone, or we can go outside of that and try to get secret information to make our lives better which was forbidden even under the Old Covenant in Deuteronomy 28 that, uh, that Norm read. I don't think it's that hard of a choice. I'm willing to put my faith totally and completely in Jesus Christ and him alone, and I'm not worried that I'm cursed because God said I'm blessed. Well, then why are you wearing glasses? Because... I live in a fallen world and I've got astigmatism and, and uh, even after, whatever, I'm glad I can see. You know, Bob, I was just going to mention in uh, 
Galatians chapter 5, you also see sorcery as one of the sins of the flesh. And the only reason I point that out is realize that this secret information and the longing to get it apart from the scriptures isn't just a prohibition in the old covenant. It's also under the new covenant as well. And uh, I remember you teaching that, in fact, when you were teaching us the book of Galatians. So sorcery, by the way, the term pharmakeia is where we get our term pharmacy. What people would often do is they'd use drugs to put themselves yeah. in an in induced stupor so that they could hear directly from the okay. spirit realm. That would be the idea. Yes, yeah, so let me. that's a good yeah. point, pharmacy. Uh, this is very pertinent because they would do that back then. It's still true today. Now, I, I grew up in the 60s. I was a teenager in the 60s and became a Christian in 1971. But back then it was LSD that people took to gain an altered state of consciousness. And they actually believed they were getting in touch with some more profound universe than the one all the evil adults in the world were telling them existed. So then you end up with John. Remember John Lennon, the Beatles? They went from, in a very few years, some young men who could harmonize on Ed Sullivan. They were so radical, they sang, I want to hold your hand. Okay, that's music. And a few years later, they go out to east, to the east, ravish, whatever. They get in touch with Eastern religion, drugs, psychedelics, get into all their state. And John Lennon writes this Imagine, which is the anthem of a mystical worldview. They're no longer, no longer singing because people have, can harmonize and sing. Now they're promoting in the whole thing. It was, it was just awful to see what all happened. I got saved about the time Lennon got his enlightenment. My enlightenment came from Jesus Christ who forgave my sins. Not from Ravi. Who's the guy, the sitar? Ravi somebody. Shankar, yeah. Okay, yes. Well, you, you mentioned the Todd. Um, what is his last name? Todd. The man you mentioned? Bentley, yes. Oh, yeah, Todd yeah, Bentley. Todd yeah. Bentley. Well, you mentioned Todd Bentley, and you mentioned uh, an altered state of consciousness. Well, Todd Bentley referred to himself as the Holy Ghost bartender. So, so in other words, he's, he's placing himself as a mediator between God and man, yes. dispensing the spirit. I mean, Right. I get it, the emails just to see what the claims are. He offers an online course a call where you learn to do miracles. That's one of his courses. You learn to do miracles. Well, if miracles can be produced by having the right knowledge and technique, they're not a miracle. They're a natural occurrence because you can control them. A miracle is something God does that has no natural, you can't control miracles. God's in charge of it. His other course is how to visit heaven, learning to go into the realm of the, of the various levels of heaven, finding out what those levels are and how to do this travel. So now you've got Christian soul travel, which is another occult activity. Now, why bother with that? You might say, because well, who would be deceived by it? Way more people than what are listening to us. And I've met many Christians who got saved out of that stuff, thinking they were Christian, and only finding out later they were actually occultists in the name of Christ. And which gets me back to what Peterson said. Quote, as a false prophet, he was also 
this Simon Bar-Jesus, one of a long line of pretenders who opposed God's revealed truth and its messengers. They mentioned 1 Kings 22, Jeremiah 23, and so on. With the Arab make named Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, or Joshua, Yeshua, he appears, according to Peterson, to be a devilish alternative to the true Savior. Verse 10, child, he'll be called child of the devil. So he's called son of Jesus. There's an irony that Luke picks up here where he's, in, he's not son of the Savior. He's son of the devil. It's a deceit. It's a deceit. Quoting Peterson again, this man was an apostate Jew who had succumbed to the attractions of heathenism using his power and influence as an attendant of the proconsul. Now there's an echo here. The echo is of Simon the sorcerer who saw the power of the Holy Spirit as something he could use to make a lot of money. Sell me, he said to the apostles, this ability to impart the spirit. After he was baptized, by the way. He believed and was baptized, but then he wants to buy the spirit. And Peter renounced him and declared what his real status was back in, I believe it's in Acts 8 or 9 where this all happened, in no no uncertain terms. So we have these series of confrontations in Luke Acts between the true gospel and people who were occultists. Just a slight preview, because I want to keep moving here. Not too much later, we're going to have Acts 16 tell the same type of story. In Acts 16, I'll start reading verse 16. After it happened, that as we were going, now Luke is with Paul when this happens, to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination. So this is an evil spirit that's imparting occult information to people, and which was a very valuable commodity to have in the ancient world. Witchcraft, witch doctors, shamans were people, and they still are to this day all around the world, who traffic in the world of the spirits. See, some people, you mentioned drugs. Some people, for whatever reason, are more capable of going into an altered state of consciousness by natural means, because I don't know why. It's just there are some people that can do occult meditation and you know relaxation techniques and get into some state where they're in some other reality where they're actually getting dreams while they're still awake or visions or whatever. And they induce these things, and they they can be the tarot card reader, or the whatever kind of occultist might be there. Other people are more stuck in the world that God put us in, the world that's observable, and fun, we function in this world that God wants us in. So the people stuck in this world sometimes will take. I'm not. I say that sarcastically. This is where God wants us. The Bible is given to us objectively in real human languages 
by which humans can communicate objective truth to one another. You don't have to go to an altered state of consciousness to understand the Bible. Some do. Some take the Bible as being a book to use for divination, like your crystal ball. And they get mystical meanings of the Bible rather than what the author intended. But drugs is another way people try to get into that world to experience some alternate reality because they don't like this one. So what we have, dear ones, is cold, sober truth taught to us by people who were commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ, who saw him in the flesh, who were associates with those who were, like Paul and Peter and James and John and the others, who are telling us the way of salvation. Now look at this occultist. So a slave girl has this spirit. So she's one of these people that could traffic in that realm. Forbidden, by the way, to the Jews and to us and to Christians. Okay. Metas, who was bringing her masters much profit. There's still money in the occult. There's a lot of money to be made. Much profit by fortune telling. Acts 16, 16. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Let me stop right there. What she said is technically correct. Right? Very interesting. When I interact with people, my my number one evangelistic opportunity in life is through an article I wrote a long time ago that gets more traffic than any other article I ever wrote. And I hear from people who aren't Christian looking for relief from the spirits. We live in the same kind of world today, by the way, that we see back then in Ephesus or Asia Minor or Cyprus or Crete or Antioch or wherever. This is just how they were. We're co- it's coming back now. I just got an email yesterday. I got help from an exorcist and I feel better. Are you telling me that's bad? No, there's not enough information. If it was somebody who told them to come to Christ and repent and they were transferred from darkness to light, but that's really not what they're talking about. In other words, I have symptoms, whatever those symptoms are, that I need relief from. If you can identify a spirit or curse that causes the symptom and command the spirit to go, and my symptom gains relief, and I'm better, I get symptom relief. But let's just... And I know this happens. I've seen it for since the 70s. The person goes away with symptom relief, seeing no need for Christ. Satan is a master deceiver. And he'll do what's best in his interest to keep people in his kingdom because he wants company in hell. So don't assume... Somebody over here is waving. See, Bob, I, I actually had a question. What was that article that you mentioned? Uh, 
Well, I, somebody I, with the internet access, I think I, look I think up I've read issue it. 78 and see if that's okay. Thank you about that. I somebody's got a phone that goes on the internet; they'll find it. Yes, I've um, thought of the protection, or I mean the um, the deliverance ministry exorcism and all that. To I, I think of that as a uh, cosmic protection racket. <laughs> I, I, mean, I used that actually in one of my articles. It, I called it that, a protection racket. Satan gives somebody relief. If you keep serving him, he'll tell his demons to go easy on you. See, we don't know what's going on in that world. So there's more than one possible cause for the same observed effect. So if you go into that world and you judge the validity of it by symptom relief, you'll always be deceived because Satan's in charge of what, what goes on. The exorcist can cast a demon out and it actually makes a manifestation and goes out. And then somebody thinks, see, it's valid. That's what we need to do. That deceived me. In my article, I confessed my own failures when I was in that ministry in the 70s. I thought I was doing good because I saw manifestations, changes, and people that were happy about it all. But then what I noticed was over five years, the same people kept having the same problems. And I actually got more objective because I wasn't really that good at going into the world of the spirits. I was really bad at it, but I would be willing to pray for people and say, they say, well, I got a spirit of whatever, insomnia, and I'm so we'll cast it out of you, not knowing any better. And eventually, I, in that article, I explained how I got out of it, was that, wait a second, the people that I, like me, and the other people we knew who were solid elder type people that we would have in our fellowship, none of them got the way they are through these ministries. I went around, I did a little informal survey of our leaders. How did this happen for you? Well, I came to Christ. Did you ever have anybody break curses or cast out demons? No. I went to leader after leader. They all said the same thing. And then I thought about myself. Well, I hadn't either. So why do these same people come back for five years with the same problems? This isn't right. And so I started searching the scriptures and found out that we'd been deceived. And I've been spending the rest of my life teaching the Bible so that this doesn't happen to other people. The title of the article I think you're looking for, How Deliverance Ministries Lead People to Bondage. Yes. Is that the one? Okay. I think that's issue, issue 78. 78. Mm-hmm. On critical issues commentary. Somehow Google got a hold of that, and it's like so high on the Google ranking, anybody that looks for that topic finds my article. So that's how I evangelize. I was going to take it down because people don't read the whole article, and they read the story about a dramatic event, and so they think I could help them. I think you talked to somebody like that recently, Eric. But but I'm glad I never took it down because I just use it to evangelize now. Here's the point. You don't want to be bar Jesus. You don't want to be the servant girl with a spirit of divination. You don't want to be someone who takes this little phrase, word of knowledge, and interprets 
as an occult ability for Christians. Eric, do you want to discuss the genitive in there, or should I just... I want to mouth of two or three witnesses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the, the genitive, like Bob is saying, there's some ambiguity to it, but context always tells you how it should be rendered. The word of knowledge is either, as Bob mentioned, a word that comes from some supernatural knowledge, but when you put the rest of the scriptures together, that's obviously not what Paul intends. We're not intended to violate other scriptures where we're to be prevented from having secret information. So the better rendering of the genitive would be it's information or a gift where you give, you have knowledge. Um, and from the gospel. From the gospel, from the scriptures, not some supernatural That you speak to real situations in people's yeah. lives. So I think good gospel and Bible teaching should do that. Exactly. The person gifted to be a preacher or teacher should be able to see what the issues are, what the problems are, and what the congregation needs to hear to be built up in the faith, encouraged, and given hope. Why is that not a word of knowledge? Where somebody says, you had a great aunt who used to have a crystal ball, therefore now you're cursed. And you don't even know who the great aunt is. So, so do you see my point? What's going to do us some good? Secret information or the proclamation of truth right from the Bible that's so pertinent, it's the word of God that pierces to the heart like a lightning bolt from heaven that just that actually tells us how badly we need God in Christ and how our hope is so fantastic because of his promises. Yes. Yeah, there was a, uh, a book that was written a while back um, by Helen Shuckman. It was called Course in Miracles, which really got a lot of that uh, started. And then uh, Marianne Williamson, who is a close friend of Oprah, who uh, has also talked about running for president. Um, all of that stuff is all that the same type of thing, the cosmic humanism and, and all that type of thing. Yeah. And, and you're seeing just a, a, an avalanche of well, that. Well, big, the, big, the big thing right now, <coughs> excuse me, is Jesus calling. Because we can't believe what the Bible says. We have to have Jesus give us new revelations from the world of the spirits. But we should read from here. This Bar-Jesus, Elymas, was a false Christ. And I wrote an article about that, Eric, and I did. Well, the other day, it's in my phone here. I was in Sam's Club looking for food and bargains. And I came by the book. I took, I sent it to our daughter, Jessica. I took a picture. A whole great big area, this wide and this high, Jesus calling everything. And then at the bottom was Rick Warren. Now... I sent that to a couple of people. I said, well, you know, what are you going to buy for the holidays? Well, of course, heresy. What else? <laughs> Everybody needs more heresy for their presence. Why believe this? Why is Jesus calling, which, I, which is divination, better than an actual Bible? And I've had people tell me why they like it. Because I feel like Jesus is talking right to me. But isn't the word of God that we know is from God? God talking right to me? I think there's a problem. Yes. Um, 
the uh, secrets goes back to the, almost the childhood game of I have something you don't have, whereas Scripture says, I want to give it to you. And uh, the, what a huge difference that is. Yeah, what do you have that's valid but what was given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you boast as if it were not? That's the fifth sola to the glory of God alone. So in this case, this is a preview, Acts 16. So she kept, so she was saying something positive. This is a servants of the Most High God proclaiming the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, Acts 16, 18. But Paul was annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out at that moment. But when her masters, now she was a slave, saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace. He ruined their chance to make good money. The occult is very lucrative. But it's also very much forbidden. Let's go to the next slide. But Saul, also known as Paul, here, this, the Greek indicates that Paul had been that, known as that for a while. This is the Saul of Tarsus we read about that was hostile to Christ. Filled with the Spirit. Notice I have that highlight in red. Don't, I'm going to go back in a second. Fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, the irony, Bar Jesus means son of Jesus, but Paul says the truth. You're actually a son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, will, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? A lot going on here. Notice I highlighted in red, fill the spirit. I want you to understand how to read. And authors, especially when you're reading narrative, Luke, it wants us to know what to think about things, okay? If somebody's doing what's right, if somebody's doing something that God wants them to do, if God is using somebody, Luke uses terminology so that the readers of Luke Acts know that that's the case. This goes all the way back to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 3. Various people he describes on the scene are engaged in various things like a priest who's Zacharias and different ones. Luke lets us know who has an encounter with God and thereafter speaks the truth. The Holy Spirit comes upon somebody. Mary. She says something. Right? It's in early Luke. So this is, I mean to us it's obvious but some people don't seem to get it. When you see Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke is saying what he says now is true and ordained by God. That we're supposed to know that. So he makes it very clear. It's not, it's not confusing. So here Paul, who was called a prophet in Acts 13, 1 and 2, speaks in a oracle of judgment by the spirit now let me read Luke 10 19 and 20 
where it says, behold, to the, to the, to the 12. Now, Paul was not yet a, even a Christian at that point. Behold, I get, have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. It strikes me, by the way, Eric, that that would be a good verse for the glory of God alone. Why does Jesus in Luke 10, 19 and 20 talk about the authority he's given to the apostles and couple it with a warning? Because this pride that the spirits are subject to us could be the seeds of deception. And we can learn something from this morally. What is one of the greatest things to rejoice in as believers in Jesus Christ? I think it's absolutely true that we should rejoice that our names are recorded in heaven. The book of life. My sins are forgiven. And when you see an absence of preaching that even mentions the forgiveness of sins, you have reason to doubt the validity of the movement that claims to be Christian. I told you the story over and over again. This guy has sold lots of books, says he's going to start a new reformation and solve the world's problems has not one word to say about the forgiveness of sins. Maybe not rejoicing the spirits of subject, but rejoicing that I have authority and power with world leaders and I have clout and gravitas. And when I speak, people listen. I've got this. I did that. I said that. I sold these things. I have these people coming. That's a danger. Even for somebody who legitimately preaches the gospel, it's a big danger. But when the gospel's not even proclaimed, then it's a sign that's not even valid. So Jesus said to the disciples, don't rejoice. I, I do rejoice whenever somebody goes from darkness to light. Amen. Acts twenty six eighteen. we've heard stories about that. There's one that went out on our prayer Gene, a story about it from Eric here. We should always rejoice in that. But don't rejoice that I happen to be the one there when it happened. Right? Just praise God that God is still saving people. And I think if there's anything to learn, if he can use me, he can use anybody. And I think we could all say that, can't we? Yes. Uh, hey, Peter. Bob, just to uh, take along to what you said or... I question if it is that when you talk about that pride was that what the uh, disciples suffered from when they were ineffective when they were what ineffective about uh, converting they were basically taking it on their authority rather than God's yeah that pride is like the underlying danger that would lead us away from the for the glory of God alone so they were in, when they were ineffective? Well, 
you can't always discern motives when there seems to be a lack of being effective or successful in what you're trying to do. When we endeavor to do something that's within our Christian liberty, the results vary anyhow. So let's, let's put it this way. That's all, it's, it's about providence. So let's say someone is in a small town with a small church faithfully preaching the true gospel. They may not see a whole lot of effectiveness. But is that proof that they're failing God and that God's not happy with them? Is that proof that they need to get a program to change the definition of the church? I don't think effectiveness helps us that much because we can't know God's providential will. We know it's his will that the gospel be preached. And if we do, and and it's effective in the sense that God converts people, we can rejoice that our name's in the book, and we can rejoice that their names are in the book, but not rejoice I'm God's man of power. That's not probably a good idea. Pride cometh before the fall. Eric, and then other Eric. We got three Eric's here, <laughs> close to Mike's. I, I think Peter, maybe were you referring to the when the disciples go out and they can't cast out these demons? Um, that may be the specific one that he's one referring is in to. Mark, right? In, in Mark nine, what's interesting is when Jesus hears from these disciples that are sent out to cast out demons. What's interesting is they lament the fact they can't cast this demon out. Well, Jesus says, "Oh, unfaithful generation!" So he likens them. Jesus uses this generation usually as a pejorative, yes. lumping all unbelief into this generation. So if you're part of this generation, you're characterized by unbelief. It has nothing to do with a time period. Um, it's from the beginning of time until the end of time. If you're in unbelief, you're part of this generation. So Jesus accuses the disciples of being no different than the unbelievers in this generation, even though, ironically, they belong to him. So what they were starting to do is to rely, just as Bob said, on their own power. And that's why at the end of the prayer... this comes by prayer. He says, exactly, these, these only come out by prayer. You have to rely upon God's power. So that's the risk in having this overinflated idea of ourselves and being arrogant. We have to rely upon God's power. It's nothing that we do. Right. Oh, yes. Okay, over here. Yeah, well, let's see if it comes back to me. Um, the other thing I was thinking about um, pride is is the truth really sets us free from pride. Like when you understand that it's a God-given gift, this um, like what the disciples, uh, like the knowledge of the truth, um, when you understand that it's like it's from God, then you're more humble. It's like kind of like Moses, like he was so proud, you know, before he was uh, sent to the wilderness for 40 years and, you know, he was going to save the Israelites, well, after 40 years, you know, God did such a, a humbling work in him that he is like, you know what, he, he understood the truth. He's like, yeah, I got he was nothing in humble, me. Isn't he? I got nothing in me. He's like, I, I can't go. And God's like, well, who made your lips? You know, he's, and, you know, this is the degree that he was humbled. He's like, you know, even after that, he's like, well, could you send someone else? You know, he's like, he knows it's yeah. not in him. I think if the more sober-minded we are about our own selves, we're not too uppity. You know what I mean? But on the other hand, we don't want to become so self-contemplative, um, thinking about self, that we're crippled and, and have no boldness either. We don't want, well, there's, a, there's a godly balance there. 
Cast not away your confidence, which has a great reward. So that's the confidence is in God. Okay. I've got about three minutes. I need to finish this slide. Okay. So I got to, I got to, I got to get back to try to do that. So Paul speaks as a prophet, as an oracle of judgment. So there's a pun, Bar Jesus meant son of the savior, but he's actually a son of the devil. And deceit and fraud, by the way, deceit and fraud are opposed to the way of the Lord. So no lie is of the truth. We know that from the Bible. Everything God says is truth. No lie is of the truth. Fraud is a word that's only used once in the New Testament, and that's right here. And it can be translated unscrupulousness. And it has to do with wicked schemes and plots. So there are wicked schemes and plots going on with this Bar-Jesus. And then there's an allusion here to um, something that we found earlier in Luke. Crooked and straight are reminding us, if we're astute readers, of something said earlier. And let me read it to you, Luke 3 and verse 4. Quote, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make, quote within the quote, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be brought low, and the crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Luke 3, 4 through 6. This was in the context of John the Baptist who spoke for God as a prophet. Some probably rightly say John the Baptist was the last prophet of the Old Covenant, the one predicted in Malachi. And so the prophet of God speaks the word of God. So crooked and straight, allusion to Isaiah, previously cited by Luke in Luke chapter 3. So this son of the... Jesus is actually a son of the devil. Conclusion, dear ones, discernment means we need to have a love for the truth, which is a gift from God. We need to go by the objective words of God, this rational, true, reasonable, easy to be entreated, and so on. Not by the world of the spirits, the mystics, the people that claim to have higher order spirituality, to be some greater Christian and know something that ordinary people do not know. We have to resist all elitism. We need to resist the danger of pride that lurks for all of us. And we need to rejoice that our names are written in the book of life because our sins are forgiven. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your kindness and grace and mercy. And yes, may we ever rejoice that a holy God sent his son to die for us so that we could believe in him and our names 
would be in that book because our sins are forgiven. Thank you, Lord. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you upstairs to hear a sermon.